gospel preacher. One that we're all familiar with, that's the apostle Paul. We're all familiar, I'm pretty sure, about his conversion. He was the one who believed that Jesus was an imposter, was blasphemous and claiming to be the Son of God. And so he persecuted his disciples, those who believed that Jesus was telling the truth, that he was indeed deity. But he had authority to go to Damascus. He went to different foreign cities, we're told, but this is the only one that we're told specifically about. And while he was nearing Damascus with those who were with him, a great light shone down from heaven and they all fell to the ground. But when they arose, only one of them was blind, and that was Paul. This was a miraculous light that blinded Paul. The others were not blinded. It was bright, all right. And he heard the voice. He said, Saul, Saul. Now, we know him as Paul, so I'll call him Paul most of the time, but at this stage in his life, he's referred to as Saul. Why persecutest thou me? I'd like to look at this question and the others that follow in turn. Why persecutest thou me? Now, I don't know if that seems strange to Paul because Jesus was in heaven. And as far as we understand, he never saw Jesus in the flesh. And he did not believe that he was who he claimed to be. But now he has his revelation. Everything about it is going to change. He's been committing into prison, giving his consent unto their death, men and women who believed in Jesus. And now he sees them alive in heaven. Why persecutest thou me? And Paul may have thought, well, now, Lord, I've never seen you. How could I persecute you? But I'm sure he knew what he was talking about. Because he's persecuting the Lord's people. He's persecuting the church. Let me read a scripture to you. Acts 8 and 3. But Saul laid waste the church, entering into every house and dragging men and women committed them to prison. It was the church... And the Lord said, you're persecuting me, Paul. Also in 1 Corinthians 15 and 9, the chapter on the resurrection, Paul said, for I am the least of the apostles that am not meet. It's not suitable for me to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So here's Paul in, I mean, the Lord in heaven and Paul on the earth is persecuting him when he persecuted the church. One more passage. This is in Ephesians 5, verses 31 and 32 that sort of helps us understand how that was happening. Paul wrote, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I speak in regard of Christ and of the church. Paul was using the husband and wife relationship to illustrate how Christ is related to the church. They're different personalities, but they're one. Christ is the head of the body, and the body is composed of the Christians in the church. 
Why persecutest thou me? Well, I'm sure Paul realized how he was persecuting the Lord. The Lord, after asking why persecutest thou me, said, It is hard for thee to kick against the gold. It's a proverb the Lord is using. A gold was that which goaded animals that were a little bit stubborn. We understand they were about eight feet long. It was a heavy stick, we'll call it. One end they had a sharp iron piece, and on the other it was flat that they could use to clean the, the plowshares. And so it was used by the farmers to goad on a stubborn or kicking ox. They wouldn't, they wouldn't work right. Well, in this proverb, Paul is the one who is resisting God. And he's resisting God's grace in his efforts to keep the law of Moses. We've been studying about that in our study in Galatians. The more Paul kicks, that is, persecutes the church, the more the church grows. So the Lord said, it is hard for thee to kick against the goat. Why persecutest thou me? But what was Paul's answer? He said, well, who art thou, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. So Paul's question is to why, the, the Lord's question to Paul is why? And he gives us the answer in 1 Timothy 1, I'll read 12 through 16. And Paul is saying is, I was ignorant. That's why I persecuted you and the church. I thank him that enabled me, even Christ Jesus, our Lord, for that he count, counted me faithful, appointing me to his service, though I was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, howbeit I obtained mercy. Because I did it ignorantly, in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord abounded exceedingly with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Faithful is the saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me as chief, that is chief sinner, my Jesus Christ show forth all his long suffering for an example of them that should believe upon him. The Lord used Paul. The Lord's grace and his mercy will save anybody in any sin as long as they do his will. And we can't think of how, many, how anyone could be much worse than Paul was when he was killing the Lord's people because they believed in Jesus. But he said, I did it ignorantly. I didn't do it out of a hard heart. But Paul was not saved in his ignorance. He was subdued, but not saved. He's the one that teaches us how one must obey the gospel. He's the one that tells us that the gospel of God is his power unto salvation, Romans 1 and 16. 
And also, he tells us, uh, let me find my place here. We find here the answer. That when Jesus was seen by Paul to be alive, in fact, to be in heaven, this was sufficient evidence to convince Paul. It also explains his, uh, his conversion, his transformation of life. Brother Haley tells us about two men who lived back about 1747, that'd be a little over 250 years ago. These men did not believe in the Bible. They didn't believe in Jesus Christ. And we find that uh, Lord George Littleton, these were Englishmen, and his friend Gilbert West, were fully persuaded that the Bible was an imposture and determined that they would expose it as a cheat. So Lord Littleton chose the conversion of Paul, going to make a special study of Paul and his conversion, and his friend Mr. West studied the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And these, of course, were to be the subject of their hostile criticism. And they went their separate ways to do their study. Don't know how long it took them, but uh, when they got back together, they had both been converted. The evidence was too strong and overwhelming. He believed that Paul was not an imposter. In fact, he lays down these fundamentals in deciding whether Paul was genuine. He said, either Paul was an imposter who said what he knew to be false with an intent to deceive, that's one possibility. And he gives evidence to show Paul was not of that nature, but that was one possibility. Secondly, that Paul was an enthusiast who imposed on himself by the force of an overheated imagination. I mean, you've seen people like that. They're so convinced that what they're doing is right, and maybe that's the way Paul was. Or, third, Paul was deceived by the fraud of others. That was a possibility. Or finally, what Paul declared to be the cause of his conversion all really happened. And therefore, the Christian religion is a divine revelation. Just a study of Paul's conversion. Paul saw that he had been mistaken. He saw Jesus alive in the vision, and the Lord even talked to him. And this qualified him not only to bring him to obeying the gospel later, he's not saved yet, but also to help qualify him to be an apostle. When we turn over to Acts 1, 25, uh, well, 21 and 22, Judas Iscariot has left the twelve. He's taken his life. The Lord wants there to be twelve apostles. And so Peter stands up before the group and he reads, or we read, verse 21 and 22, Of the men, therefore, that have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and went out among us, 
beginning from when? The baptism of John. Unto the day that he was received up of us, of these must one become a witness with us of the resurrection. Paul said he was a witness of the resurrection. He saw the Lord alive. And the Lord spoke to him. When his apostleship was being questioned by the church in Corinth, he answers in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 1, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Paul became an apostle. And in the vision, he saw the Lord. And he mentions other revelations that he received from the Lord that I'm sure provided the other evidences that he needed to be a witness of the Lord and for the Lord. Why persecutest thou me? Well, Lord, I did it in ignorance. That was a fulfillment of a prophecy. When we turn to John 16 and verse 2, the Lord is talking to his apostles and he says to them, They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the hour cometh that whosoever killeth you shall think that he offereth, offereth service to God. That's what Paul thought. His conscience didn't bother him. All this bad things that he was doing to the Lord's church, he was doing it because that's what the Old Testament required. When anyone denied uh, God, they wanted to go and worship idols, the Lord said, don't have any pity upon them, put them to death, stone them. And that's what Paul was doing. He was following God's directions until he realized his error, his big mistake. Well, we wonder why the Lord didn't just tell Paul then about being baptized. He said, enter into the city and it shall be told thee there all things that are required of thee. Why didn't he tell him about repentance, about confession, about being baptized? Well, the answer is in 1 Corinthians 4 and 7. And that is that Paul needed to hear this message from an earthen vessel. Not directly from an angel. Not directly from the Son of God himself. But we have this treasure, talking about the gospel, in earthen vessel. That the exceeding greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. Now that explains, I think, about other conversions we read about in the New Testament. For example, in Acts 8. Philip is preaching, he's referred to as the evangelist, in Samaria. And there are a lot of people who are obeying the gospel, including Simon the sorcerer. Well, while things are going so well there in the preaching, the angel appears, or an angel appears to Philip and he says, I want you to go south and get on the road that goes to Gaza. Doesn't tell him why. Philip obeys. He starts out south from Samaria. And then when he gets where he's supposed to be, there comes a chariot with Ethiopian eunuch riding along, reading the Bible from the book of Isaiah. And then the Holy Spirit appears unto Philip and he says, Join thyself unto that chariot. 
And of course, he goes up to it and says, understandest thou what thou readest and so forth. He's invited up and he preaches to the eunuch. Why didn't the angel go directly to the eunuch? Why didn't the Holy Spirit go directly to the eunuch instead of to the preacher, the earthen vessel? Because that was the way God planned it. How about Peter and Cornelius? Acts 10, we have the angel of God coming down to Cornelius. And he finally tells him to send a Joppa, the fisherman Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall speak unto thee words whereby thou shalt be saved. Why didn't the angel tell Cornelius? Because the angel is not an earthen vessel. The Lord is not an earthen vessel. Ananias, that God chose, was the earthen vessel. And so Paul got up, started off walking, being guided by the hands of the others. Evidently, they had to walk. Surely, if they'd had a donkey, could have sat on the donkey and rode along, and that would have been an easy way, just pull the donkey. But no, they have to take Paul's hand and guide him. Now watch, here's a, here's, you know, lead him all the way into Damascus. But when he gets there, he goes into a home. He's there three days and nights, not eating, not drinking. He's fasting. And he's praying. And God has selected Ananias, this earthen vessel, to go to Paul. And when he arrives there, he reaches over, touches his hand, the scales fall. He receives his sight again. He's been blind for three days now. And he talked to him about the gospel. He tells him what he needs to hear about Jesus. You remember the message Jesus said, "Go, the Great Commission, go and preach the gospel to every creature. Go and teach all nations. And so, what were they to teach about Jesus? He's the death, burial, and resurrection. That's the, the core of the gospel. And so Ananias had to teach Paul more than he realized when he saw the Lord in heaven. And then Ananias said to him, and now, why tear yourself? Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul was not saved on the Damascus road, regardless of how many people tell you he was. God's messenger, Ananias, said, Paul, you need to be saved. And here's what you need to do. And now, what are you waiting for? Why tarry thou? Rise and be baptized, washing away thy sin. He didn't have his sins washed away. They weren't taken away when he saw the Lord and believed in the Lord in that vision. He still had the laden of sin bearing down upon him. And I'm sure that's what led him to such diligent prayers during those three days. Fasting, saying over and over again, I imagine, Lord, I'm sorry. Do what you need to do with him, but I, I was ignorant. But the Lord had mercy on him. Didn't forgive him of his sins until he obeyed the gospel. Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Now there's a connection. Paul, would you turn this over for us, please? Paul's put some more things on the blackboard, chalkboard for us. We want to see the relationship of the blood of Jesus Christ that saves us and baptism, which also is a part of our salvation.
We've got four points here, and they all have to do with the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 and 7. You see that at the top? That's a 7? Yeah. All right, it says, uh, referring to Christ as the beloved, in whom we have our redemption, the for, uh, in whom we have our redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. It was the blood of Christ that provided their redemption. They were redeemed by his blood and received their forgiveness of their trespasses through his blood. Then in Acts 2.38, Peter said to these people, you remember, is the same question that Paul asked. Lord, what shall I do? Peter said when he's preaching on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, 36, that all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, or your version may say they were pricked in the heart, and they cried out unto Peter and the apostles' brethren, what shall we do? That's exactly what Paul asked. What shall I do? And so the Lord tells them what they must do. Peter told them in Acts, uh, and after their question, verse 38, Acts 2, 38, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's through the blood of Jesus and it's through the obedience of the lost sinner that come in contact with the saving blood of Christ in that way. But then we find about cleansing. And this word is also used. In Hebrews 9, verse 22, Paul wrote, All things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. All things cleansed through blood. Well, what's the other verse that goes with that? Ephesians 5, 26. Now, remember, he uses the word cleansed. We read, beginning in verse 25, that husbands should love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify it. Notice, having cleansed it with the washing of water with the word. The church was cleansed with the washing of water. That's baptism. And the word that leads them to faith and and repentance and confession. So we find that cleansing is through the blood of Christ and baptism to meet that blood. What about washing? Well, that's the word that Ananias used in Acts 22 and 16, and now why carry yourself? Arise and be baptized. What do? Washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So one's sins are washed in obedience to the gospel. What about 1 Corinthians 6 and 11? Paul lists, I think there are 10 sins. And then he says, but such were, this is 1 Corinthians 16, but such were some of you. But ye were washed, there's our word, but ye were sanctified, but ye were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So here we find washing, Away one's sins, as Saul responded to Ananias, and in obeying the gospel. How about Revelation 
this is a, we read that while the saints are said to have washed their robes and made them white in the Lamb's blood or in the blood of the Lamb. Again, there is washing through baptism. The blood of Jesus Christ washed them. And so that's how the blood and Christ come together. One other is the conscience. The conscience becomes cleansed by the blood of Christ. That's uh, Hebrews 9, 14. Yet in the act of being baptized, one makes an appeal to God for a good conscience. And that's 1 Peter 3, 21. So, we're running out of time, so let me just close off real fast. We see the relationship. We're saved by the blood of Christ. We're redeemed by the blood of Christ. But the only way we can reach that blood is through obeying the gospel. And that's what Paul was told to do. That's what he did. So, we find the answers being to the questions being given. But we've got one more question. And that is, why tarryest thou? Paul had the evidence, he had the information, and he promptly responded. But let me ask you, why tarryest thou? Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Well, the question now is yours. Here are some possible reasons that you might have. Some may say, well, it's because of knowledge. But you've heard the lesson, you've heard enough scriptures given to know that Jesus is the Son of God and that we have to obey the gospel to reach that blood that saves us. So that can't be a, a problem now. Maybe it's a lack of courage. Maybe you're afraid of something. But of what? Maybe the ridicule of friends or even family. Well, that may come. Being saved ought to cause us to want to share our new life with everybody we know. The Lord has saved me. I'd like to see you saved. Here's what the Lord promises to do when we comply with his conditions. Some may be afraid they can't hold out. There are temptations still. We're not removed from the world in the sense that Satan leaves us alone. But we do leave the world in our emotions. Maybe it's because uh, the cost is just too great. What did Jesus say? If any man come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. The cost is great. But think about the cost of hell, eternal damnation, the anguish there. One man said, I would give the world to have the faith like that. And the answer was, that's exactly what it will cost you. To become a Christian, one must give up the world. One other reason might be sentiment. And I've heard this many times. What about my father and my mother? They've already gone on. I can't believe about them being in hell. Well, I would like to think this way. We all had honorable parents. 
We want to honor them. Don't want to dishonor them. We want to honor them by obeying the truth. And the Lord has revealed the truth. You shall know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth shall make you free. It would be a dishonor to our parents. Knowing the truth, we turned our backs on them. We didn't do that which they have taught us to do. They taught us to honor truth. The only voice that we have from the other world, it comes from the rich man, Luke 16. And he was pleading with Abraham, who was in Hades. They were in one part. The rich man was in the wrong part. He was in torment. He was in anguish. And he cried over to Abraham. He said, send Lazarus back. I have five brethren. I want him to warn them to change so they won't come where I am. If we have anybody that's lost in the other world, they don't want us coming there. So whatever our relationship, whatever our sentiment is toward them, we need to just put the Lord first. Now, why tarry yourself? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. All of thy sins calling on the name of the Lord. We have a song of invitation. We're going to stand and sing this and we're praying that if you have that need that you'll come forward. If you have further questions, we'd be happy to talk with you about them. Would you not come as together we stand and sing?